Chatting with Sherry. I'm so excited to welcome back Eric Erickson. He's an actor, a writer, a director, and he's written a novel called A Session. And he's produced, written, and directed a movie called Truth. And we chat about that and a lot of interesting stuff. Here's Eric. Hi, Eric. Welcome back to the show. Hi. I'm so happy to be back. <laughs> I always love coming. So, I'm talking to you. It's almost it's always fun talking to you too. You have an interesting life. Yeah, that's one way of putting it. <laughs> it's, it's definitely interesting. I'm always up to something. I never I never come on your show and and say something like, "Yeah, nothing's going on. It's really boring." Well, let's talk together for an hour. Yeah. Actually, I wouldn't <laughs> mind talking nonsense for an hour with you cuz you have a lot of your fun. <laughs> We'll do that one time when I don't have anything going on. I'll just call up and we'll talk about absolutely nothing. <laughs> Listeners send in topics about nothing that we can talk about. Yeah, that's a good thing. But Is there any nothing topic you want to talk about? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, so how are you dealing with our horrible situation of 2020? Well, the last time I was on with you, when was I on with you before? It was, I think it was in March or It was April. just before like, everything came to a flying halt. Um, so it's it's definitely, there's good days and there's bad days, and it's about stringing together as many good days as possible. Um, I definitely, personally, am constantly fighting this kind of cabin fever um, feeling, because since, since as a... I work at home and my world is very small right now. There are days when I just crave going to the grocery store and talking to the clerk for a half hour because they're a live person. Um, but, you know, so we're, I, it's not any better or worse than anybody else. We all have our problems and we all, you know, it's how we deal with them and, and our own uh, ability. Because, you know, something big to me is small to something else, somebody else and somebody, something big to someone else is small to me, but that's just because the way I live my life and they live their life, you know, and like right now I have I have a lot of friends who are Armenian and, and they're dealing with everything going on with their family, so it's like, it really puts your own life into perspective when I'm just dealing with simple little annoyances and they're dealing with life and death, so, you know, it's, I always try and keep it in perspective, so it's, it's not too bad. Um, I've been able to get a lot of work done. That's that's been the upside of all this. I've been writing like crazy, so that's been nice. That's good. That's good. Yeah, yeah. I've been, that's what I've been focusing on is my writing too, and I've yeah, been doing my show because I work from home too. <laughs> right. It's difficult because you have to. You really have to. Um, 
discipline yourself. You you have to set goals and you have to be hard on yourself, crack the whip a little bit, and really keep things moving forward. It's really easy to just get up and go, oh, wow, there's a James Bond marathon on today. (laughs) (laughs) And tomorrow and the day after. So it's... uh, it's it's really you learn how to to keep yourself uh, to working and you know set goals some of them realistic some of them unrealistic and really push you know so that's how I've survived I don't know how sane I am but I'm definitely surviving <laughs> I know you talk. it's hard it's really really hard it's it's hard because well if you work at home like we do you kind of look forward to things like going out to the theater or, or going to a museum or going to a movie with some friends or go, you know meeting a friend for coffee you know you, and all that stuff is <laughs> yeah I gotta be I'll be honest like I've never been a huge social person like the thing about the entertainment industry and I know you know this and a lot of people listen is like there's there's what people see, the perspective, and then there's the life that you actually lead. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, a lot of times when things were going, I'd go to premieres and there were photos and I would go to the parties or go to the, you know, whatever, and it seems like I'm going out all the time. But quite honestly, I'm, I'm not a real social person. I don't go out with a lot of friends. I don't go to dinner a lot. I don't, you know, I kind of keep to myself in my very close circle. But when COVID hit, then you, I couldn't do anything. Now it was just like, oh my, I, I I went to a restaurant for the first time in six months. <laughs> and I was like, wow, I, I didn't really, wasn't really a huge person about food, but now it's just like being able to go outside and have something different than what's frozen in my freezer was amazing. Yeah, so it's, it, it changes your perspective a little bit about what is valuable and what, you know, keeps you moving forward and what you enjoy. And it's just, it's really I've used this time to be very introspective. I, I think a lot of people have, or I hope they, they have. I hope so, you too. Know? Like, I heard, like, one, I was listening to this, um, I don't know if you saw it, uh, Jason Momoa was on The Daily Show, and he was talking about how he and his wife have used this time to work on their marriage and make it even better and stronger, and, and I'm like, yeah, that's a great way I love to that. Time. Yeah, you know, if all of us could do that, and use this as an introspective time imagine how better we would be as uh, just individuals as a country as as humankind you know but we'll find out i know <laughs> i saw my first i saw my first post covid show <laughs> of uh, a, a talk show uh with people in the studio it's yeah. it's not here obviously it's in england um graham norton it's weird. <laughs> it, it just you're so used to the way he usually does the show, and then you see the new version. Uh, yeah. Uh, no couch, chairs all set apart. Yeah. He doesn't greet anybody. He sits on his little couch. He it's a tiny little couch which they moved into a different place, and. The audience is the separated thing that they've been talking about, like for theaters and stuff. And he he starts the show by just saying, 
Welcome to the show. You know the rules. Please don't intermingle. <laughs> I mean, it's so weird. <laughs> I think I think when all this is over, though, I think I think we should all get like a free get out of jail free card. I think I think everybody should get like a free misdemeanor. But not like, not like you can't hurt anybody. It's like we should all get a chance to just do something stupid and silly, like like dr- public drunkenness or streaking or something, and just we all get one free, just to kind of blow off some steam and get back to normal. That's that's my theory, and I don't think the law would like it, but I think it's only fair after get us all back to a healthy mental state. So, but the thing is, we're social so creatures. You run naked down the street one day when all this is over with no mask. That's what's going on. We're social creatures, so and it and it's very hard that you know can't touch, gotta wear a mask. I mean, and it's very important, and everybody should wear a mask. Everybody should keep separate. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying, but um, but it's just weird and it's hard and it goes against the grain. <laughs> and I think people have a breaking point as well. I know you know we're seeing it across the country, but I'm even seeing it. You know, you see it here in, in West LA and Los Angeles, which is a very, you know, we're we're one of the re- areas that has really been kind of at the forefront of masks and, and social distancing, and we've been very pretty good about it. Some, you know, some of the areas, although we do have areas where like it's literally, if you walk outside, you don't have a mask. In Glendale or Manhattan Beach, it's fine. You know, so. But I, I I've seen people are start really starting to push back against it, and it's. Uh, it's one day you think it's going to turn into Mad Max, and the next day you think everything's going to be okay. So you know it's really a day to day. It's it's like um, the Kate McKinnon thing on Saturday Night Live the other night when she was playing the the doctor, and she just lost it. She's <laughs> like, we just don't know <laughs> things we know, and I'm like, that's that's life. We don't know, and we're doing the best we can. Just keep pushing forward. Well, that's um, the thing is that we're so arrogant. I'm, and I'm not just talking about American. I mean, the world, everybody, the whole planet. But everybody's so arrogant. Everybody thinks they know everything. Everybody thinks that this, that they're better, they're superior, blah, blah, blah. We're all the same. We're all stuck on this little, beautiful blue marble. And maybe it's like a lesson to learn to love each other and learn that there's no difference and that we should respect each other and maybe some people are getting it and other people aren't. <laughs> it's a nice thought. I hope it were, I hope that's what happens. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. I hope we don't blow ourselves <laughs> up. <laughs> say I'm optimistic, but this, I'm, I'm trying. I'm really trying. <laughs> I know. I know, I know. Just, it, the world's so insane right now. It's hard to say what's going to happen. I'm just, that's my hope. That's that's my hope. It, it, it makes it it's a very odd thing because it's like you know I'm I'm out here and you know last month I had a movie come out and this month the book comes out and I have other projects that are that are been happening and it's this odd balance because you know you need to promote yourself and you need to promote your work but there's also this kind of sensitivity that's got to go into everything because you don't want to forget that there's people that are sick and there's people that are dying and we political issues and and everything else and you know it's it you have to strike this really careful balance and be very aware and it's it's a I don't know if it's a brave new world but it's definitely different you know it's uh 
Well, it's almost like it's almost like the planet is trying to say, "Hey, you know, stop, think." You know, because all the storms and earthquakes and the virus and all that, it's like the planet what? itself is saying, "Hold it." <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I I personally have kind of looked at it as it's like a tipping point. I think I think finally we've reached a point where now you're seeing the because we haven't addressed global warming and I don't just mean like one of my issues with global warming or climate change is that we have to acknowledge the, the climate change and do what we can to you know combat it stop it getting it worse but there's another side of it that I've that, that's always struck me as odd is we don't combat the climate change in the way we live. And I guess that's because people aren't, we don't have a consensus in this world, in this country, or we're still battling whether or not we believe it's real and da 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 da. But it's like, once we fig, once we get to a point where we can all at least agree that there's a problem, then not only can we work on fossil fuels and not only can we work on like, okay, well let's try and get carbon down and, and that, but we should be looking at the way we live in regions like New Orleans and on the eastern coast and, and changing the way we build buildings and changing the way that we, you know, retaining walls on the ocean. And we should be looking into different ways of actually constructing our, our lives because we need to admit that this is happening. So if we want to continue living on this planet, we can't be building seafront towns that are going to get demolished every two years, you know. So it, it's... It, and, and unfortunately... As I always say, I don't, you know, I don't have kids. You know, I'm a single, divorced guy living in LA, and I live in the area where people say, you know, we don't know what's going on or whatever. And um, so a lot of times, I don't feel like I have a voice in the argument. But it just, I just shake my head sometimes. It's like how, it's like hurting cats. It's like all these people don't want to admit that we can't get together and have a discussion. We can't sit down and say, you know, I don't agree with you, but I want to have a discussion about why, and maybe we can find a common ground, and maybe we can learn from you, or at least agree to disagree. It's it's just, if COVID isn't getting me down on one day, that's getting me down on the next day sometimes, so that's when I go back to the computer and just keep writing, because at least I can control that. I can control the way the words come out. You're right. I mean, and it's funny, because... uh, I'm older than you, um, and when I was younger, when I was brought up by my parents, my dad was the kind of guy who could talk to anybody and did about anything and did, and but the thing was, the world was different. He could have a civil. That's what's missing is civility. That's what you're talking about. Yeah. Um, he could have a civil discussion with someone completely, with a completely different philosophical, moral, religious view than him. They could have a lively discussion, be laughing and talking and interchanging and be really cool and shake hands and be done. There would be no animosity. They'd be friends at the end. It was such, and that's the way I thought the world worked. It used to. Yeah. It used to. You had, you know, the, the, not to get all political, but I mean, you had the days when, 
you know, the left and the right would sit, scoop, because I came from Washington State, and I remember, you know, hearing stories growing up, Scoop Jackson and these different um, politicians who would cross the aisle to have that discussion and to find the common ground and to figure, realizing that they governed people all across the spectrum, not just the ones who agreed with them. Uh, and it just feels like that, that has gone away. I, and I also blame part of it on this sense of, um, entitlement that the world has gained over the last two decades, basically since the internet. Because it used to be if somebody said, hey, the world is flat, we all looked at them and said, you have no idea what you're talking about. That obviously not, we have the facts go away. And now it's like somebody says, well, the world is flat and I've been on the internet and there are seven people who agree with me around the world, so thereby my views are valid. And we don't have the ability to stand up and say no, because now that's a sense of entitlement that people have that every everything that they say should be taken at at full value. And there's there used to be this point where we kind of went, no, that's not real. We're not going to give validity to this silly theory. But now we have to give validity to every theory across the spectrum, no matter how how crazy it is. No matter what, 99.9% of the population can disagree with it but you have to give it validity because of this 0.1% that is out there saying the world is flat or whatever the, the, the theory is. So yeah, you know, that might not be a popular way to say it, but it's just like everyone has a right to their opinion, but it doesn't mean it has to make it into the national argument, you know? And the thing is, is that I feel that that happened around the turn of the century. It didn't happen in the 90s. It, it may have started a little bit, but the real, the the seizing of that, that arrogance didn't really happen until the turn of the century. At least that's the way yeah. I, I feel it. I, I think it's a com. it's, uh, well, I mean, we could go on, this is a topic that, like, you could do a TED Talk on for, like, <laughs> a week. No. But, you know, there's so much happened around the turn of the century just technology, political, uh, socially, like, it really rocked the core of this country, and, you know, and obviously 9-11, but there are so many other things that have happened that, you know, grow I was talking to a, a friend of mine of, who's from another country about this the other day, and I'm trying to explain to them how we were raised in this country, the, the sense of we live in the greatest country on the face of the planet. There's, you know, every one of these kind of ideas that were put into our brain. And I think when the turn of the century kind of happened with the information now that we had and we were seeing what was going on in other countries and, and everything, I think a lot of Americans suddenly went, wow, um, the world's a little different than I remember it growing up. And, and some of the things that I, I was taught may not be entirely correct. And, you know, there are other ways of looking at things. And, and people who live in other countries love their countries like we do, and, and it's, I think it's growing pains is what I refer to it as, because we're still such a young nation, you know, we're, we're basically in our t early 20s, and think about when you were in your early 20s, how much change you were going through. And, True. Uh, so that's, that's my analogy, and, and that's, I don't know. It's, it's a good analogy, I like it. Yeah, it's, it's good. I, I, <laughs> I, try, uh, I try to, you know, throw out a few golden ideas when I can, but for the most part as I get older, I think I just sit back and watch a little bit more and shake my head. Yeah, I do a lot of that too. <laughs> I do a lot of shaking my head and like, what the heck? <laughs> you know, 
how many like Facebook monologues I've begun and then about certain subjects and then just deleted them. Uh-huh. You know, so. I, I've done that. Oh. Or, or, or like I get mad about something and I'd be sitting and I've been, it's like, it was like going to be on my Facebook and then I was like about to and I'm like, nah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's for the best. Yeah. Yeah. It's more like, I don't really feel like getting the throwback that you get. I mean, you can get nasties from the most innocent remark. So if yeah. you have a really well thought out thing that may not be popular, you can get really nasties. And I really oh. don't need that. And if you have one typo, <laughs> the whole argument's out the door. <laughs> oh, I know. I know. I, I actually... Um, answer somebody when I first woke up the other day and instead of two T-O-O I wrote T-W-O I was first thing in the morning I just woke up I didn't even have a cup of coffee yet because I, I, I do monitor a few uh, different groups in Facebook and man there were like five people making fun of me and I'm like give me a break I just woke up <laughs> There's no no kind of um, understanding. It was more like, <laughs> uh, it's a it's a war zone. I mean, for it's just <clears throat> I don't know. There's I find I have fewer and fewer days when I'm willing. Fewer and fewer topics on which I'm willing to put my passion behind. You know, if it's very important to me or very close, or if I believe that it's truly important. Absolutely, I'll put everything I have behind it. But I just—I don't have the patience or the energy to get into little arguments little wars. Over you know, in the in the grand scheme. Yeah, I know, and people seem to really enjoy that, and I don't. <laughs> yeah, it's the anxiety. I like—I can't function. I just—I walk through my whole day thinking about like, oh, I should have said this, or oh, don't do that. And I'm just like, I have too much on my plate to waste energy on that. There's there's too many other things to it. To Ascension's a fun 
um, it's a fun adventure book. You know, so it was very, as people were kind of like, wow, truth is kind of a downer, it was nice to be able to go, trust me, I have something coming on the horizon that is much different while it has uh, ideas in it that I think are deeper and ideas that are um, something for people to chew on. At the same time, it's a much more, it's a lighter way of approaching it. I wanted to write something that was a page turner that was kind of in the the vein of like a Dan Brown novel or a Clive Cussler book or something where it was this deeper idea couched in action adventure and relics and riddles and, and, and everything. So that's it, was, it, it, felt was, it was really nice to tell people good things were coming. It, that's the way it felt. It felt sort of like a Dan Brown. Like that. That's, I've, gotten that, I've gotten that comparison a couple times, and I'm very, I'm very okay with that because that's what I wanted to, to do. Um, the initial, when I first, I first wrote it, my first draft of the book, I actually completed in 2007. So it's actually been sitting in a drawer for a while, and I pulled it out a couple years ago and started, and I hadn't even read it, and I since I first wrote it and I started going through it and I was like wow I, I really forgot what I put how, what I created here and I, I kind of fell back in love with the project and but what I realized is the book that I had originally written was much more esoteric maybe it was much more about ideas and it was it was it was much almost like a textbook in some ways still with with a uh, story and it took me it took me a while to get back into it and really pull it apart in a way where I could turn it into more of a page turner and make it more like let's go on this adventure that happens to be about these kind of deep thoughts about death and what lies on the other side and what the possibilities are um, so I was very happy with the way the way it started to come together in this new form I like the way you wrap the mystery with the mythology, with the history. It's all like a little pretty bow. <laughs> I, that's it's one thing that really interested me. So, well, for, I, sh I should probably explain because nobody's people are like you're talking about. What this about this book? And I don't know oh. what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. So uh, it's it's a story of um, Ascension's the story of um, a group of scientists who discovered that on the other side of death is another universe. And it's not heaven, it's not hell, it's actually a, a, another universe which is the next evolutionary step of mankind. And they discovered that people have been crossing over and they discovered that there are there's a society on the other side of some kind, they don't quite understand how it works. Uh, but at the same time, there's a, a dark society that's interwoven with it and they're trying to get back over there and. and and claim their their birthright, their power once again. So it sets off this chase and this this discovery where they need to find out how to control the doorway between both sides and figure out the history of how that doorway was opened and who's gone over and and uh, it, it's it's kind of a Da Vinci Code esque chase of having to cipher clues on both sides and. And uh, it ends in a cliffhanger. I'll admit it. There's there's a part two. So it's my second interview like, oh. where the book has a cliffhanger, and it's a. <laughs> I had one. I had a couple of people. They write me. They just oh wait no. 
And my sister even wrote me, and she's like, wait, where's the next one? <laughs> so hopefully that, that works, you know. Have you even the, the, started the next one? The the second book is finished. Oh, okay. It's just, yeah, it's, initially I wrote it as one, one book um, when I wrote the first draft. And when I came back and I visit, revisited it, I, I realized that I needed to split it into two, partially because the story I wanted to tell, but also just kind of with the, um, the the way modern publishing works, you know, it's it's very difficult to pop a, a 900 page book out onto the market. You know, even if you're you know H.R. Martin or something, you know, just unless you're working through a, a major press house or a major publisher, it's difficult to get that to market in a way where people can actually access it at a at a cost point. Comes all these different financial parts start coming into it. So I decided it was it was just best to split it into two and tell the story over two books, and it, it worked out. It worked out really well. It, there's that point where I wanted to break it. I had those cliffhangers, and it came in really nicely. So um, it's it just the best way. Just the best way. So that's so part two revelations is completed. It's just in the rewrite phase, and it should be out. Uh, looking at spring of next year is kind of the, the the target. I have to admit, you get to the end and you're like, ah! <laughs> <laughs> I'll take that. <laughs> but that was, you know, that was one of the things is like, it was, it's an interesting process. I and mean, if you want to talk about the actual writing process, it's, you know, when I dove back into it, there was a point I thought it was done about a year ago. And I, um, maybe not a year ago, six months. Well, I guess it would have been a year ago. It was like late last year, like November. And I put it aside for a couple of weeks just to kind of cleanse my palate. And I went back into it and I was like, no, it's just something's missing. It's just not quite done. And I went back in and I wanted to really, you know, these characters, I wanted to really kind of deepen them a little bit and give them more, um, facets um, you know I, I changed like one thing I did that, that was kind of surprising to me is one of the main characters was initially a white character and I was reading it the character of Benny and as I was reading it I found this some things in his character I was like wow if I made this a black character it would really open up some interesting uh, his outlook on life would be very interesting in the situation that he's in and I know where what happens in the next book and what happens in this book to that character. So, you know, that was really exciting. That just that one change, not only did it make the book more more inclusive, but it, it gave him a lot more to discover because of his background and, and some different issues. So that was really interesting, the process, to, to challenge myself and say, okay, how can I make this character more important? How can I make this character, their arc, better? You know, more they need to learn to get them from point A to point B through the story. You know, so it, it's been a lot of, it's been fun. Like editing, editing a book can be a lot of fun once all the pieces are there. <laughs> you know, it's, yeah. It's, I, I I do I do enjoy I enjoy the entire process, but I enjoy each part of the process for different reasons. 
Yeah. Um, it, it depends yeah. on the kind of editing you're talking about. Editing like that is yeah. fun. <laughs> yeah. It, you know, going through and finding finding little, you know, type. The, the beginning editing is a pain. Yes. You know, the, the grind. But once, it's the same in film editing, too. It's like, getting your rough cut together and just kind of, you know, sometimes that's just like, it's just, it's, it's like cheese grater to your skull sometimes. It's just grinding. But once you get to the point where the pieces are there and you can really start to work with them and mold them and move them around and then you see when certain pieces, it's like a puzzle, when certain pieces go together, you're just like, oh my gosh, that I didn't even see that coming. You know, it's really exciting. And then you get, the funny part is you get to a point in editing where you're reading your own work and you stop taking notes. And you look up and you're like, I just read 20 pages and I didn't take a single note. And and that's a good and a bad thing. The good is you're like, wow, I'm entertained by my story, so hopefully other people will be. But the other problem is you, you're reading and you're so into it, you miss like editing things. And you have to go back and like sound it out line for line to make sure every word's right. You know, but... But there were moments where, like, I looked down. And I was like, "Wow, I, I, I really was taken away by the this chapter or whatever." And you know, it's not patting myself on the back, but it's like if I enjoyed this, someone else will, because I'm my own worst critic. So, isn't it weird that you can like lose yourself in your own story? I, I always find that strange for myself. <laughs> on yourself, and, you know, it's like they say you can't tickle yourself. It's like you have to reach that point where you don't. You almost don't realize it's your own writing, mm-hmm. you know? and it's it's kind of weird. It's like, you know, when you're an actor, you know, you're always looking for that truth in the performance. You know, that's the the when it just gets carried away, and sometimes even you watch yourself, and you and you're able to watch the performance because it's true or it just it, it was it was done right. And I think writing can be kind of like that. I think there's points where you read something that that is done. It's not even done well or done correctly. It just it just clicks, and then you you lose yourself in that as well. Have you and ever looked at an old story and said, "Oh my God, I don't even remember writing this"? I was just about to say that. Yeah, <laughs> I pulled, pulled some things like out of the archive, and I was reading through them. And there's some that I I read, and I'm like, "Oh yeah, I remember reading this, uh, writing this. Oh my God, this is horrible." And then there's other things I read, and I'm like. I'm really enjoying this. I'm like, I literally don't remember writing this. There, there, there was a, there was a book that I was, uh, I, I was contributing author on, and I had all of my articles in the book. It was like one of those factoid books with the different chapters, and I had all of mine marked. And I was going back and reading it, and I was like, wow, I'm actually, I don't even remember writing this, but I'm enjoying it, and I know it's. So, I, I see that as a good thing. You know, it's. But I think part of it is it's also about the more that you write, you know, the more you you just create this this world of all of everything you you create this world of everything you've created, and after a while, you know, you you just kind of develop your style and you forget you know, how it happens. It's it's just losing yourself in the moment. It is it's work. It's just it's just it's a craft like anything else. It's, there's like, it's like that line in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory where um, he, uh, what's his name, the wizard, the chocolate maker, Willy Wonka, he said, world of imagination, that is where you enter when you're writing, that you don't 
really realize you're doing it until after you've gotten to the other side. Yeah. But I think, like, one thing I've learned, I may have brought it up on your show before, but, you know, you're all writers, and it doesn't matter if you're writing, you know, books or screenplays or, or, or plays or whatever, but we have this weird sense of, I kind of refer to it sometimes as the Kerouac uh, model. We, we have this sense that as a writer, you should just sit down on a blank sheet of paper and just let it flow and see where it takes you. And, and you know, that's how the great American novel is written or that's how, you know, it's great screenplays are written. And there's something to be said for the adventure of just seeing where, where a story goes. Mm-hmm. But the more and more that I work, the more and more I realize that the more the more and more and more and more. <laughs> more, more, the more more. <laughs> the more you plan and the more basically pre production for, for a book, the 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 easier your writing's gonna be and the better your writing's gonna be. So, you know, I can sit down and I have I have a number of projects that are worked out and you know the the chapters are already kind of outlined and I know how long they're going to be and I'm like here's the basic arc of the book and here's the characters and you know all of that and if you can create that structure then you go in and you're you know there's your skeleton now you go in and you put the meat on the bones and you put the the flesh and and, and everything and it allows you to actually be more creative because you don't have to create the structure now you can get in and you can find the little character flaws or the little character arcs and you can and really put in the details and and you don't have to lose yourself when you run up against a brick wall and you're like oh wait my character's supposed to do this how is it i don't know how's it going to end or whatever that's all done you know and it's it's just i think you know i used to be like that too i remember being like 18 19 writing just thinking i was supposed to sit down and create this this world on a blank page and looking back that's something i would tell myself at that age it's like Go, go plot, go, go plan out your story structure, then come back, and and your experience is going to be that much better. The end result's going to be better. It's funny so. because I have this book that pretty much was ready, but I got sick, and so I just decided to grab it and edit it in bed because I wasn't feeling well enough to sit at the computer and do any other work. And as I was working on it, I thought, you know what? I need to add something to this. And I realized I I have to push back my books because I was sick. But I also realized that I want to redo some parts of it because I had this time to actually reread it. It was already edited. It was was checked by an editor. It was checked by me. It was checked off by the publisher. Everything. And I said, no, I need to add something. (laughs) <laughs> it's it's you know it's and the other part of that too is you have to know when to be pencils down oh yeah you know then that's and that's tough too because even as i was doing rewrites on ascension you know i was getting down to the final proof and it was it was just about uh you know fixing sentence structure you know it's, the story was done and I was still going through it. I was like, oh my gosh, I could put a scene in here that did this, or I could do this, or I could add this. And there's a certain point where it's like, okay, is that important to the story? Does it add? Is it necessary? 
and you just start saying, you know, no, the story's been told, that's just extra, you don't need that, maybe it's something to save for the sequel, maybe, you know, and there's just a point where you gotta say, nope, pencil's down, story's been told, because every time you, every time you go in, and you make a change, it's like surgery, and every time you open up that text to, to make a change or add something, you're, you're creating an incision, and you have to, after you're done, you have, and then you're inserting something. It's like an organ transplant. You have to then um, suture it back up. You have to make sure that all the words match. You have to make sure that you haven't suddenly created some sort of problem because of what you put in. You, you Now you have another opportunity for typos or for or incorrect grammar or something. So every time you make, you, you create this little text surgery, there are repercussions, and you have to go back and you know, make sure that they're not going to cause you bigger and bigger problems. Um, so there's just a time where you're like, I've told my story, nothing I can do, nothing I do at this point is going to make it any better. It's just going to make it longer. Uh, I understand, but that, this actually wasn't that. It wasn't like adding a scene. It was more like adding some structure. Structure. Uh, well, that's, that's, yeah, that's different. It's every, everyone's unique. Everyone has their own, you know, their their timeline and their way of going in and, and figuring it out. Um, so, no, your book is out. Um, is yeah. it out? Ev- <laughs> is it out for everybody? I mean, is it ebook, paperback, everything, or or is it just ebook? Or how how do they get it? Yeah, it's available in uh, paperback. Uh, hardcover and uh, ebook. It's available currently. It's available from um, uh, Amazon because they have everything. Um, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, uh, Kobo, Apple Books, all the normal uh, Nook, all the normal ebook venues. Um, the mass market paperback version should be coming out in a couple of weeks. So if people who like the smaller version, that's a little easier to handle on like planes and stuff. Um, and then it should start rolling out in some of the other retailers in the next couple months. They usually jump on a little late once uh, it's been selling. So hopefully we'll start seeing it at Walmart, Target, some of those other places. So um, yeah, it's in it's in full release at this point cool. in the in the media of your choosing. And uh, are you on social media, and what way can people say hi to you? Are you on Facebook, Instagram, all that good stuff? I'm, I'm all around. The best way to get a hold of me is on, is on Instagram. So that's my, that's my social media platform of choice. Um, it's a little less political and a little shinier because of all the photos. So, so the best way to find out more about the, the book or the projects that I've been doing is um, my studio Instagram account, which is Viking Dog ENT for entertainment. So it's at Viking Dog ENT. Or if you want to just look me up, say hi, and see what I'm up to, I'm the Angry Viking. Uh, just like that. And then Ascension has its own Instagram. That's Ascension the Novel. And then those will carry you over to our Facebook pages as well. But it's just kind of the best place to find everything. And if you go to the website, viking-dog.com it has links to every place that you can purchase uh, Ascension it has uh, links to all the different platforms where you can rent or purchase 
all true. And then some other information on some of the other projects that are coming out of Viking Dog. Unfortunately, it's not Viking Dog one word because uh, some internet company decided to buy that domain and offer to sell it to me for four thousand no. dollars. And uh, yeah, as of right now, I can't afford that unless you guys buy a bunch of books. Uh, so it's Viking Dash Dog Dash Hyphen Dog dot com. So. That sucks. <laughs> <laughs> You do what you can. I know. Um, <laughs> thanks. Hundred ten thousand bucks, and then I'll buy the domain. Yeah, that's, that's okay. my goal. That sounds fair. Um, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, thank you, Eric, for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Always a pleasure. Thank you, and thank you for chatting with Sherry. Uh-huh.